Welcome to the Revolution Church Podcast. Is my mic working? What is, is it, what is working? Anything, anything. Hello, hello. It's working. All right. Sorry. I have no idea. Hey, Zoe. Hey, Steve. How are you? Um, I mean, this is a good trial run to see if it works for um, on YouTube because uh, eventually we do want to go live. Sorry that it's it's 15 minutes after and we're still just getting didn't even get started yet. Um, I'll obviously post this on Facebook. I tried very, very hard. Uh, my wife could attest. I was starting to, a lot of the, the peace and grace that I was, I am going to be talking about. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg was not getting that from me just moments ago, as I tried to make it work on Facebook. Um, I'll have to investigate that more. Uh, I don't know if it's like a weird thing with a firewall or if Facebook is just being wonky uh, I really, I really don't know, um, uh, but we're here and, um, I have a good talk, I think. So I was going to say, we'll let people give them some time to, to wander in, but it's already, uh, been 15, 15 minutes past the, the start of church. So, um, wait, maybe if I move my camera, there we go. This way I could see myself and sort of be looking at the camera. Um, thank you, Steve. Thank you very much. Um, so um, Jay was originally planning to give a talk, give the talk today, um, especially because it's Easter. Um, but he's in Missouri, uh, like meeting with his dad. So that's really big. And um, so in essence, you know, he's not here because he's outliving what he talks about in, in revolution, which is really cool. You know, kind of like practicing what he, um, Oh, Hey, Oh, excellent. Um, practicing what, what he preaches out in Missouri. And so I think originally maybe he was going to meet up with his dad on like Saturday, but then when it got pushed till today, he told me and Easter is very important, but also, kind of like metaphorically trying to make amends with his dad. Jay is also living out like an Easter story. He flew out there on good Friday. And so uh, I just didn't want him to have to worry about this, which probably also leads to why I was having like a meltdown on um, trying to connect to Facebook when it wasn't working. Uh, like I said, this will be our preferred way to go eventually. I just was not going to roll it out without Jay being the first to do it. But any port in a storm, right? If your sword breaks, grab your dagger. So, all right. So, um, now I've given a few talks to everybody, uh, to, for, to revolution and, um, so this is this is fun and exciting to me, but to me, having to do like an Easter service, that's like getting called to like the big leagues, 
but also more so than that, it's like, imagine if you're like a minor league baseball player and you get called in to your first major league game or something like that. And it's like the world series or something, you know, it's like, this is a bigger event than just talking on a normal Sunday. So I was, um, very conflicted because, uh, as Jay is very open with his mental health, I will be too. And I have been struggling as of recently, um, just like pretty, pretty down in the dumps. And it's not anything specific because specific things are easier to deal with, but it's just kind of like the world at large, uh, has, gets me down and I've been working on it. Um, but I wanted to give like an uplifting and encouraging talk because it's Easter and Easter is like my favorite day of the year. Um, so I do take it very seriously. And, uh, so I wanted a, a talk that also fits with revolution because revolution is a gathering of people of different faiths. Some people don't believe at all. Some people believe very much. We have, we have, uh, pastors, we have Wiccans, we have like, you name it, revolution has them. And so I wanted a, an Easter message that was going to fit all of that. So that's already a pretty big, um, ask. And then on top of my, the mental health issues that I was, I was going through because when I get down in the dumps and like into like, kind of like a manic spell, I get what could only be described as, um, nihilistic in which I'm just like, nothing matters. Like nothing we do matters. It doesn't mean anything. And that's not the message that I want to give everybody like, Oh, Hey, it's Easter. Everything's miserable and nothing matters. You know? So I wanted to give a talk that also I could benefit from too. So, you know, give a talk to me. That's as much to me as it is um, to everybody else. An important thing about Easter is that the teaching, whether or not people believe in any literal aspect of the Bible some people, it's just a great book of wisdom. Some people, it is exactly what it says it is. Um, but regardless, a great part of Easter is that it shows that Jesus's teachings didn't die when he died. Regardless of if we believe in a physical resurrection or metaphorical, because it almost did die when he died, right? Because the disciples kind of have a um, like a crisis of faith because they were believing this guy to be the Messiah. And then from their point of view, they just watch him die and they're, they don't know what to do. So they just go back to living their normal life. They don't go, they don't continue what they're, they're doing. And then, um, and so it was kind of just like, they put all their hopes in, in this man who then they just watched die and buried. They didn't even watch him die and get buried. They kind of bailed on him, right? So, um, but my favorite story in the Bible comes after the resurrection in which all the disciples are going back to their lifestyle. And then Jesus shows up on the shore and Peter gets so excited that he just he bails on his boat. He ditches everything. He's naked as the day he was born and he swims to shore because he's so excited to see Jesus. And um, 
in that conversation, Jesus gives him three opportunities to tell him that he loves him um, to kind of like undo the three times he denied him. So, um, but that's what I want to, to kind of focus on is like, no, that the teachings of Jesus didn't die. Like, let's keep it going. And, and that gave the disciples the new life to then go out. And that's why we have all the letters and the books of Acts and, and everything. Um, so the, um, the problem, like I was saying with my, my nihilistic tendencies, when I get depressed is that I don't think anything really tends to matter. Um, it doesn't seem like our character or the, the things that we do in our lives make a difference. Um, because people will, they, people see what they want to see, or they're like blinded by their projections onto, to other people. And that is something that we all are victim to, but in preparing this talk, I also realized that that's as old as time itself, because Jesus, um, is saying that John the Baptist, he didn't eat that much. He didn't drink that much. He was, you know, fasting. He was in the wilderness. He was doing um, his, his work. And then people saw that and like, oh, he's a demon. He's possessed because he doesn't eat and he doesn't drink. So clearly he's a, a demon. And then so Jesus says, so when I came around, I ate with people. I drank with people. And what did they say about me? They said that I'm a glutton, that I, I hang out with sinners, that I drink too much wine and I'm a drunkard. So really it doesn't matter, not in a nihilistic sense, but it doesn't matter what we do because people will see what they want to see. Right. And, um, there's a saying that I love. Um, and I saw it in a, in a movie but, but it was weird. The movie was Birdman. I don't know if anyone saw that. It's a, it's a weird movie. I love it. But in one scene, it takes place in a dressing room. And then on the corner of the screen, uh, in the actor's uh, mirror, he has a, a little written note. And it says, the thing is the thing. It is not what is said of the thing. And so that's kind of what I have to remember is that... Um, the thing is the thing. It's not what people say about it. It's not what they project about it. So they could say John the Baptist is possessed by demons because he doesn't eat or that Jesus is a drunkard alcoholic because he drinks wine with his friends. Just because they're saying that it doesn't change the fact. It doesn't change the truth because the thing is the thing. And in that same story, Jesus, and this is something we'll kind of be focusing on in the talk too, is that Jesus is almost like, it doesn't matter because wisdom wins out. They could think what they want, but wisdom is what wins out. I'm making my uh, smart decision to drink carbonated beverages as I give a talk. So um, <clears throat> one thing that ha was plaguing my mental health uh, a bit as of recently, and um, I have family members watching, so it's, they could attest to this and um, no, no details need to be, to be given except for there was some drama surrounding my family and their friends and friends of family. And, um, you know, I kind of was in to try to be a mediator and, and everything, but the, the, the truth of the, the matter remained is that 
a lot of the drama and like hurt and betrayal that happened could have been navigated and avoided if people involved would have just looked inwards at themselves rather than blaming other people. And if they didn't form almost like an echo chamber of like-minded opinions um, that just amplified and made things worse. And, um, you know, this again is nothing new. Um, it happens with Aaron when they make the, the golden calf, right? The um, Moses disappears for like two months or so, a month and a half, two months up uh, um, Mount Sinai. And he's talking to God as like the Bible says, as a friend, you know, um, borderline face to face. Um, and then the, the Israelites get, very like, where's Moses? He led us here. What are we to do? Let's make a God that we could see physically, excuse me. And they have, um, they have Aaron collect all the jewelry and gold and they make a golden calf. Now, when Moses comes down, he goes to Aaron. He's like, what did you do when I was gone? What is happening? And then Aaron goes, basically, he's like, well, you know how, how they get, you know, <laughs> how, how, um, they get hard to lead and and you you know this like it's and he's blaming all them as if he himself didn't like make the calf and um and that is something that Paul kind of t touches about in Galatians in chapter 6 is he wants us to hold each other accountable but gently but he warns in doing so to not fall into that echo chamber that you're trying to help people with. So that is a temptation and reality that happens when we try to make things better, we get sucked in so much so that, you know, how many thousands of years after Aaron, um, Paul writes about that in Galatians. And so <clears throat> by looking inward is that's how we first learn to show we learn about grace and how to show other people grace because it's been shown to us, right? The Bible says for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So all of us are flawed people who will make mistakes, but we are shown grace and mercy. And in turn, we should show that to others. And um, Jesus tells us this in a parable about um debt forgiveness like he uses literal money debt as a metaphor for this and so the parable is about a, a king who is owed a debt of ten thousand talents so we're going to put on our thinking caps a little bit because uh my wife had to help me do the math a little bit with this so he's owed ten thousand talents by a a worker now, one talent is 15 years worth of wages, according to a, um, a reference Bible that I have. So one talent is 15 years of wages, and he is owed 10,000 talents. So that's about the equivalent of over $821 million. It's not like 
there's no conversion rate. It's just what their money is. It's worth over 821 million denarii. And so he forgives the man this. And now the man who was forgiven is owed a debt by someone else of a few hundred denarii. Now, a denarii is one day's worth of wages. So he's technically not even owed one talent. So he was forgiven 10,000 talents, and then he's going after somebody for less than one talent. And so Jesus uses that to show, like, this man was forgiven of this great massive debt, and then he could not even bring it upon himself to recognize the grace he was given and to show others that same grace. Um, and so grace is huge with revolution, right? Galatians teaches us about grace and Jesus teaches us about grace. And that's kind of the, the foundation of revolution gathering. And I agree with all that revolution stands for and all of what Jay teaches but the question that I've been having recently is I am wondering if it is possible for us to show grace in our lives when something happens to us because we are so emotionally involved. And so that's why I think that um, almost it's like almost a leapfrogging of faith in which we take turns leaning on each other. And maybe that's why you know, when Jesus describes a church, it's not the multitudes, it's not hundreds of people, it's not thousands of people. He goes, where at least two or more are gathered. So two is, is significant because maybe he recognizes that, like, we need to show grace to each other, but like, if you need someone else to help you. And what I mean by that is, for example, that family drama that I was talking about, I was able to step outside of it as much as I could and help other family members navigate it, try to show the grace and, um, you know, don't lose yourself in going low, you know, stay who you are. But then outside of that, I was dealing with the same thing. And I was going on these rants uh, and I was so angry and anxious. And then it was my wife that had to, do the same to me and be like, I understand you're upset, but if you keep going like this, you're kind of falling into the same traps that you're upset about uh, with other people, uh, like with the other group that's doing it. So she was, I needed her to keep me focused on grace because I couldn't see it because I was so emotionally involved. And then my family was having trouble seeing grace because they were so emotionally involved. So you see how we're using each other to, be able to live this out because if we try to do it on our own, we get very blinded by our, our emotions. And um, so it's, it's definitely a, a community aspect to it um, to keep each other straight and narrow and not fall into the echo chambers and make things worse. And I heard this funny story not funny, haha, but funny, like, oh, interesting, about Dalmatians. And there was a filmmaker that was trying to make a movie, and there's a bunch of ongoing jokes with a Dalmatian. And in one of them, the Dalmatian has to go out in the rain and do some antics. And they could not get the Dalmatian 
into the rain and they couldn't figure out what it was. And then they learned that through their breeding that um, Dalmatians were taught to avoid water. And so in doing so, back in the day before electricity and cars and everything, the fire um, stations, they were all drawn by, by coaches. And so they would have a Dalmatian leading the, the coach and the Dalmatian would be dodging puddles and ditches and things that would damage the coach. And because of their white fur, they were able to be spotted at nighttime. And so it's kind of like, you know, where two or more are gathered and that leapfrogging of grace that we're almost called to be like Dalmatians for each other, you know? So when my family was lost in this turmoil, I was trying to be the Dalmatian to them being like, no, all right, avoid this, avoid this trap, avoid this. And then when I was done with that, I was starting to get blinded by my emotions. And then my wife was the Dalmatian for me, like, no, avoid this, avoid this. You could do this and stay on, stay on this path. And so um, in doing that, that's kind of how we, we learn to live grace, even if we can't live it in our lives because of our emotions, we could help others who will then help us. And in doing so, it help us, helps us avoid the, the pitfalls of like legalism um, that we sometimes fall into with the Bible and Christianity, because um, by the time Christianity has filtered down to us, it's not very much like what it is in the Bible, you know, because things change over time and interpretations. And then, you know, we're learning it from the, the guy who learned it from the guy, who the guy, the guy, the guy. And so, um, so many other things make its way into what we know as Christianity. And a lot of that is, um, stems from legalism that happens by the Bible means this. And if you think it means anything else than this, then, then you're wrong. And so that's kind of what I want this Easter message to also be is to focus on the fact that Jesus like pulled together more tables and made room at more tables than he ever flipped. Right. He, he flipped tables when he, he was upset at the market, but his whole life was like, pulling chairs up to the table and pulling tables together for people to, of all walks of life, uh, you know, you have your zealots that want to kill Rome and then you have the tax collectors that are doing Rome's bidding. And so the zealots want to kill the tax collectors. And Jesus is like, guys, we're all friends. We're all family, but this is what we're doing. Pull up a chair. And, um, and that's something that, goes back to the days of Elisha with SH not the so there was Elijah and then his predecessor was Elisha and so Elisha they had uh, a defeated army and everyone's like should we kill them and Elijah's like no they're defeated let's get them together and we'll have a big meal and we'll we'll eat as friends and so that's a something that kind of should be focused on more than Jesus flipping tables because he was upset. Um, and so I know normally I can get a little out there with my, my bonehead theology type ideas, and I'm not going to go down that path, but I will explain how Elijah and Elisha got into the mix of my Easter message is, um, 
so my dad passed away in November of 2020. And when that happened, you find yourself believing things that you didn't always like maybe believe in, you know, it's like, um, so my dad loved, uh, birds of prey. He loved hawks. He loved falcons. Um, and so now when you see, when I see like, a hawk, I don't go like, Oh, that makes me think of my dad. Like uh, my first instinct is like, Oh, Hey dad. Like, and it might just be a thought, but it just made me kind of think of like investigating for lack of a better word, reincarnation. Um, but in doing so, what I, I was like, is reincarnation besides being like born again, um, as Jesus says, which we take as a metaphor, right. For, um, being born again, but, but is it in the Bible anywhere else? And then I, I learned of Jesus is talking to the disciples and the disciples were like, Oh, if you are the son of man, isn't Elijah supposed to come Elijah with a J supposed to come before you, you come to kind of announce your way. And Jesus says he did come, he's here and nobody recognized him. And then the Bible says that in that moment, the disciples realized that Jesus was talking about John the Baptist. Now, it could just be metaphor, right? It could be, no, he's, you know, John the Baptist is in the same vein as Elijah. Or it could be like, no, Elijah was here. You guys just didn't recognize him. But that's Elijah, who you're calling John the Baptist is Elijah. Now, I don't have any, I'm just explaining like where my mind went to, to send me back to the old Testament. Cause normally I am talking about Paul and Jesus in, in the new Testament. So now that's how I got back to, to the old Testament. And I'll always have a soft spot for Elijah because uh, even though I think it's, um, was it Jeremiah's called the weeping prophet, right? Cause he's like always crying, but Elijah, he'll do these great works. And then he'll be cripple, cripplingly depressed, like in the next chapter. And there's nothing more like, I get it. I get this guy. He'll do these great miracles and then, um, and then just almost like pray for death because he's so sad and depressed in the wilderness. And um, so, so I really, I have a soft spot for him and he's also just really cool. <laughs> and so um, I, um. So in going back to Elijah and Moses and Elisha, I'm starting to see like seeds being planted in the Old Testament about how Jesus is going to come to fulfill the law, Um, not to undo it, but to fulfill it. And there's a great scene with Moses where the um, the Israelites come to a, a body of water and they're they're so thirsty, but they can't drink the water because it's very bitter. So I'm assuming it's salt water and they can't, they can't drink from it. And so, uh, so Moses takes a tree and puts it in the water and then the water becomes fresh. And, you know, so when we talk, John uh, talks about Jesus as, you know, living water. And so it's like, so, and there's the imagery of the tree and crucifixion and something bitter that was not life-giving changing over to something that is life-giving and so that's very much the like the law how the law was as um as peter says in the book of acts like 
it was oppressive for our ancestors as it is for us now. It's an impossible standard. And so, um, so that is like bitter water. That is like, you can't, you can't live off of this, but then with the, the tree and the crucifixion, and now we have living water that we can learn from and get grace and mercy and understanding. And, um, and even better than that imagery is when Elijah, Elijah with a J goes to find his predecessor, which is Elijah with a Elisha with a S Elijah's working on his farm, right? He's like plowing fields and everything. And then when Elijah finds him, he's like, all right, I'm going to say bye to my family. I'm going to eat some food and then we're going to set out. I'm with you all the way. And then it's said that he took the yoke off of his ox and broke it up for firewood. And I was like, that is such a great uh, image of what Jesus does by freeing us from the law as he takes that yoke, breaks it. He's like, this is, it's firewood. You don't, it's not needed anymore for what it's intended. You know, it's kind of like a version of turning a sword into um, a gardening tool. So, um, and so the, um, with those imageries, we see that the stage is being set for grace and mercy before the law is even set into place, you know? So with the whole um, Moses turning the water drinkable and livable, you know, that's a metaphor and imagery of how Jesus will free us from the law. And that starts to happen before Moses even gets the law. So it's very, it's like mind blowing. It's really cool stuff. Um, but the, um, in order, a key thing for us to show people grace and mercy and understanding is we have to recognize in them the same humanity that we see in ourselves and that we wish others saw in us. Like, come on, I'm human just like you, but that's what, how we have to look at it also. And, um, you know, Jesus tells this great parable of he's of a man who goes to uh, well, a guest. It doesn't have to be a man. A guest goes to a wedding and instinctively sits in like the most important spot. And Jesus is kind of like, don't do that because someone more important than you is going to get there. And it's going to be embarrassing for you when the host asks you to move because you took the seat of someone that's more important. And, um, and so he says to almost like humble ourselves, right? Like to um, don't sit in the most important seat, because if you are more important than where you are, the, the host will ask you to move and then people will see like, oh, this guy's uh, he's more important than, than we thought he was. You know, the host is, it's kind of like moving him up in, in priority. And so, um, you know, when the, the Bible, when Jesus tells us to love others as we love ourselves and to treat others how we want to be treated, it's important to note that the other might not actually be like an enemy or another another it's um you know going back to moses moses had more trouble with the israelites that he freed than he ever had with egypt but when we think of of moses's struggles we think of escaping egypt but he did that and then he had to deal with the the israelites in the desert who were wandering and they were hungry and tired and they were angry and if he disappeared then they were making false gods and um 
and even at the start of Moses's life, he sees an Egyptian beating up a Hebrew man. So he kills the Egyptian to save the Hebrew man. And the very next day, like he sees two uh, Hebrew men fighting and he's like, guys, come on, don't fight. And they're like, Oh, you're a murderer. We saw you kill that guy. And they like rat him out to the King and the King's trying to kill Moses. So Moses flees. And so it's like, Oh, his struggle wasn't, you know, with Egypt. It was of his own, like, the people that he freed. So for lack of a better word, like his own kind, like, so sometimes our own kind is our other or our enemy, you know, it, our family, our friends, our political parties and people that have the same religious views as us, they shouldn't be seen as, um, as like immune to, to, um, I don't know how to explain it, but like sometimes they are our others that need to, we need to show grace and mercy to, even though it seems like, no, our other is on the other side of the aisle. But it's like, no, sometimes like the calls coming from inside the house, like sometimes we need to deal with, with the people that are around us um, because they could give us just as much grease, grief, grief, grief. Um, and you know, by recognizing that, you know, everybody's human and flawed and they have humanity, just like we have humanity. Um, we also kind of learn that there is no one way to en encompass everybody. You know, um, Paul does this in one of my favorite sayings where he says he becomes all things to all people. And, uh, that's something that I've tried to live my life by. And, um, the best I can. And so we see that when he, he'll talk to people that are praying to all sorts of different gods, and then they'll have a God called the unknown God. And so he meets them where they are and they go, Oh, I know you have him as the unknown God, but I'll tell you who this unknown God is, you know, and, and uh, Paul eats meat, but if he's around someone that doesn't eat meat and is offended by it, then he doesn't eat meat. And um, so we have to learn that there's not one way to deal with everything. You know, if, uh, if the only tool you have is a hammer, then everything around you looks like a nail, you know? And, um, you know, there was a time where Moses was asked to do the same exact thing twice. And he didn't, he, he handled it the same way. And that's kind of why he wasn't able to go into the promised land, which we'll get into later. But at one point he was asked to, um, get water from a rock. And the first time he takes his staff and God tells him to smack the rock and water will come out. And it does. And then the second time he needs to do that. God says, well, go to the rock, speak to it and tell it to yield water. And it will. And um, Moses ignores that. And then he goes back to, no, this is how it worked before. This is how it's going to work again. And he's, he's like hitting it to try to get water. And it's like, no, it's not this, even though the problem might look the same, it's not always the same solution that you have to use. Everybody's different. So we have to become all things to all people. And we have to um, allow others and ourselves to fail um, and to be human. Uh, Samuel Beckett has a quote that I like live my life by and it's fail again, fail better. And it's just um, because life is not a destination it's a journey, right? It's an ongoing thing. And that is something that we learn from Moses and how he's not allowed into the promised land. 
because to him, that was his destination. Like my whole life is getting to this promised land. And then um, kind of in like a re really crummy realization, like God tells him by not allowing him into the promised land, like, no, your life is, was everything in between. It wasn't this destination, you know, you, that you were working for and thinking that, no, once I get here, then that's all that matters. He's like, no, it was everything in between you know, you're not allowed even in there. So your whole life was everything um, in the middle. And um, there's like a, a, a great poem. I don't know who really wrote it, but it's like, uh, you know, on a tombstone, you have the, the, the year of the birth and the year of the death. And then there's just a dash, but their whole life is lived in that dash. You know, the, the, it's a journey, not a destination. And um, also it's, it's harder for us to show people grace and mercy if we focus on the destination, because if we're focused on, we have to get to this destination, then we could almost justify like doing bad things and horrible things, almost like, no, the ends, the literal ends, the destination justifies all the means to get there. But if we take that out of the picture, we kind of see like, oh no, life is a big journey of everybody failing and failing better and failing again and trying to be a Dalmatian to each other and help lead along the way and return the favor um because the the demanding for people to be perfect and not fail is kind of this where can cancel culture stems from is that we need um it's like the fruit that cancel culture breeds is like no we you need to be perfect you need to be a perfect your entire life otherwise you don't get a future and your whole like work and everything you've done is is gone and it will bleed down to your kids and your grandkids and that's why you know jay has nieces and nephews and kids that are dealing with the you know the issues of his parents getting canceled and it's just this like generational curse um and you know so that's what happens if we don't allow people to be human and fail and fail again and fail better and you know jesus um, tells this parable that I don't think I've ever heard before, or if I did, it's in the deep recesses of my mind. And it's a, um, it's about a useless tree. And this owner has a tree that hasn't bore fruit for three years. And so he tells a servant, like, this tree is useless, like cut it down and um, we'll be done with it because it's not bearing the fruit that I want it to bear. And the the groundskeeper is like, no, let's just give it another year and I will, I'll dig it up. I'll rework it with fertilizer. And if, then we'll see what it could yield going forward. Let's not cut it down just yet. And so that's a very good um, metaphor for like a uh, cancel culture or, or any of that stuff is, you know, you can't cut somebody down because you don't know what their, their story will be if Jay got canceled, you know, 10, 15 years ago, he would not never be the ally that he is, you know, because he had to learn and grow. And also everything's a matter of perspective because um, another kind of indication of that useless tree parable that I learned is that in Leviticus, they're saying when you plant a fruit tree for three years, you do not pick the fruit from it, that it, 
let it fall and it rots and turns into compost and then it makes a stronger tree. And then the fourth year you yield that harvest and you, you know, give it over to the Lord. And then the fifth year it's all yours. So what one man, you know, if the, the landowner was maybe not um, from the Jewish faith, he would, the tree would just be useless, but then maybe the gardener was like, no, it's, this is what the law, you know, this is what we're raised to do is you, you don't pick the fruit. You don't eat the fruit for three years. We're, we're just, we're just building a stronger, more rich soil. Um, so let's not, let's not get rid of it yet because it still has work to do. So I really like that. Um, but <clears throat> like, but failing and learning and getting better, that's our hero's journey, right? That's, and our life is just the journey. You know, I talked a lot about Moses and Jesus and you know, the Moses's journey is not his hero's journey is not leading the Israelites out of Egypt. His hero's journey is he's sitting with God as a friend face to face. Um, and like in all that glory, but then when there's trouble that he has to leave that and go down back to where the trouble is and try to make things better. Like his hero journey is leaving God's presence to go deal with society, <laughs> you know, and um, same with Jesus. Jesus is in the garden before the crucifixion. And even though he's having a hard time because of what's coming, he's like safe in the garden and he's not alone, but then he has to leave, right? That's his hero's journey is to leave that safe mountaintop and come down and face society and, and reality and um and so if our journey is ongoing how can we brag and say like oh i'm better than that person or um you know feel arrogant because just again like jesus said with his parable of the wedding like no there's you could you're going to brag and sit at the head of the table someone's going to come in and and move you back and humble you you know because there's always someone more important and then in first kings you know, there's a saying, uh, a scripture that says, um, why are you putting on armor and then bragging like the people that are taking it off? You know, meaning like you're not even um, fight, like you're not even done with the war. Like you're bragging, you're taking off your, you're bragging like the people that return from war victorious, removing their armor, but you're just putting it on. You know, our life is ongoing. Like how could we brag like people that are taking off the armor when we're still wearing it or, or putting it on, you know? And so all of this is to say that it's okay to struggle, right? That was the, how I, I approached this. Cause I was really struggling ment like with uh, mentally and emotionally, like how do I gird this and, and really focus to give a, an Easter message. And it's, it's okay to, to struggle and even more, so I, um, it's struggling with God is something that happens. Like, you know, people think of our struggles and they'll be, you know, they'll think maybe of like demons or the devil's got a hold of me, the devil, all this stuff. But like in the Bible with Jesus and the disciples, when they're dealing with Satan and demons they defeat them with words right they go be gone leave that man you know get out of here 
But when it comes to dealing with God, like Jesus is talking to God, like, you know, uh, please let this cup pass me by. He's sweating blood. He's so torn up and anxious that his capillaries open and blood comes out of his, his pores. Like he's sweating blood. He's crying. He's feeling sick. And, um, with Jacob, he actually wrestles with God, like a physical wrestling. So dealing with God has always been significantly harder and feels more struggles. You know, Elijah and Jonah and Job, they'll do these things. And then instantly they're just like, God, just kill me. Just kill me. Put me out of my misery. Like I can't stand this. So, you know, it's okay to struggle with God and with these lessons, because that's, that's what the history has been. You know, the, the darkness uh, of this is like, don't oh, deal with, with words. Like don't feel guilty about struggling with stuff that you might be feeling towards, towards God or the Bible or Christianity, because that is a very real struggle that we all have. And even the heroes of faith had these hard struggles. Um, and, you know, Jay gave a great talk the other day where he said he was like, so years ago, he was so depressed and lost. And that's where he felt closest to Jesus because both him and Jesus were feeling forsaken by God. And he, that's the first time he ever really kind of felt that closeness. Like, Oh, we know what each other is going through. And, um, and that's also not out of character because again, if we look at Moses and Elijah, when they deal with God and God's like, I, I will show myself to you, but in order for you to see it, you can't see my face because no one can see my face and live. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to walk past you as if I'm going to walk you by. And then you could see <clears throat> the glory that's trailing behind me, basically like the dust that I kick up and that will be almost too much for you to handle, but that's what you'll be able to see. So even when we're like dealing with God and we want to be close with him and see him, it always seems like he's passing us by. But, um, and that's where our struggle could feel and we could feel forsaken and everything. So we, we shouldn't beat ourselves over, over that because that's a very natural thing. And it's very, um, you know, if Elijah and Moses and Jesus went through it, like, and they're, they're the people that the host would have to tell us to get out of their seat. <laughs> These people are supposed to sit there. Um, and then, so, um, <clears throat> so even though God looks like he's going to pass us by, we learn from the thief on the cross that he, he won't. We learn that like the, the presence and power and promises that God give, they're not for the future, they're for right now, right? Because the, the thief says, you know, remember me when you're in your kingdom. And Jesus doesn't say like, you know what, when you get there, eventually, I'll remember you. No, he doesn't say that. He says, you'll be there today with me in paradise, right? So that's not, it's not a promise for the future. It's a promise for now, like God's working now in, in everyone's life now. And another thing that that same story tells us is that um, God gives more than, than is asked for, right? He's, uh, you know, the thief says, remember me. And not only does Jesus say, You'll rem I'll remember you. He goes, but I'm also giving you the kingdom of heaven. Like you asked to just, just for a thought like that, I, I don't forget you, but you know, I'm giving you paradise also. So that's really cool. Um, and so <clears throat> and kind of wrapping this this bad boy up, 
you know, the world, uh, the world gets us down very much so. And society does. And, um, people just seem like trash people sometimes, you know, uh, I had my issues with Facebook this morning and that just reinforced that. Like, I hate Facebook. Facebook is a cesspool. Like, um, so just things get us down, but we do have an advantage here when we come to this, this struggle is because we're all here, right? Like we all want to better ourselves and learn more and learn more about grace and how to show it to, to others. Like we have something in us that even though there's been trauma from the church and from the religion, like where it's like inside of us, we're like, you know, as Jay put it, like we're haunted by God. Like we can't just like walk away, but we're here and we're challenging ourselves. We didn't walk away. And so, um, we have the advantage there when things get rough because, you know, Jesus calls for us to learn and to adjust. He, you know, he calls for us to be as clever as a serpent, but remain as innocent as doves, meaning like, no, it's okay to learn how people are going to act towards you and society is going to act so that you're not caught unaware. You're not sucked into it. You know, you're ahead of the, the curve, but you're remaining innocent. And he says that in, in, um, in Luke too, he goes, he's, you know, he's talking especially to farmers and, you know, shepherds and fishermen. And he's saying like, if you see the wind blowing in from the North, you know, what kind of day you're going to have. And so you prepare for it. If you see clouds, you know, at this time, you know, there's going to be rain. So you prepare for it. So why aren't you doing that in your lives? Why aren't you using these telltale things that society and people show you and adjusting the way you do to the weather? And, um, you know, in the, the movie, the edge, which I, I really like, it's Alec Baldwin and, um, Anthony Hopkins. It's written by David Mamet. And in the beginning of the movie, um, Anthony Hopkins' wife goes, oh, you can ask my husband anything. He knows everything there is. Ask him and he'll know it. And, uh, you know, they're in Alaska at a, a, a remote cabin. And the owner of the cabin takes a paddle down. And on the paddle, there's a panther. And he goes, I'll give you $5, which is a joke in itself because Anthony Hopkins is a multimillionaire in the movie. He's like, I bet you $5 that you can't tell me what's on the other side of this paddle. And Anthony Hopkins goes... It's a rabbit smoking a pipe, turns the paddle around and it's a rabbit smoking the pipe. And they go, how would you ever know that? And he says, in, it's um, a story, a metaphor for the Cree Indians that the panther stalks its prey and it's on the prowl, but the, um, the rabbit sits unafraid smoking its pipe. And they go, why is the rabbit unafraid? And Anthony Hopkins goes, because he's smarter than the panther. And so, um, you know, so we, so that's the last imagery I wanted to, to share with you because um, I'll just read, I wrote down an actual summary and I will um, read it. So I said, so, so go, go show grace, go be a Dalmatian for others, help them see grace when they can't and go out and fail and fail again and fail better and remain clever and remain innocent, you know, um, and we could do this with peace and calmness because we have the advantage because we recognize the serpents and we think like them, we know how they think <clears throat> and we can navigate this troubled society so well, because just like we read the weather and we're clever, like the serpent, we know how everyone's gonna, gonna be, and we can remain innocent 
And with this advantage, we could sit unafraid like the rabbit because he knows that he's smarter than the panther. We're smarter than the bad things that are coming. And so thank you for hanging out and happy Easter. I'm sorry for the delay and the change of online venue. I personally like this more because I could see my audio levels so that I know it's working. Um, so everybody go have a great Easter. If anyone has, I'll stay on for a few minutes. If anyone has questions or comments or pushback, Hey, Steve, Trav, everybody. So happy Easter, everybody. So, um, I will stay, stay on the line for a little bit before I go head over to my family and play some pool. So thank you all. And again, uh, apologies. I, uh, I'll eventually pull this down and put it on Facebook as well. Uh, I have no idea. I restarted my computer. I did everything. I couldn't use another browser because it's one of those things where Chrome automatically logs me in. So I would still be here trying to guess the password if I um, tried another browser. So this worked out. Um, and so I'm, again, uh, sorry for the confusion earlier, but thank you all for, for coming and hanging out. So if anyone has any questions, comments, pushback, agreements, you name it, throw it in chat and we will talk. So my favorite game of pool is nine. Well, my favorite game, but I'm not good at it, is straight pool because I love the strategy involved in it, but I am not very good. I once challenged someone to a game of 21 in straight pool and they spotted me 11 points and then i lost zero to 21 he made me fail so much that i lost points but the one that i besides that that i like the best is nine ball because uh with eight ball there's just too many too much clutter on the table and i can't think and it drives me crazy so nine balls probably my favorite and that's what they play in the color of money but in the hustler they play straight pool yeah, it's uh the the movie is uh The Edge and I I highly recommend it. Um David Mamet's troubling to me because when he talks about writing, talks about the hero's journey, talks about structure, talks about the Bible, I could listen to him all day, but when he gets into other topics, it's almost insufferable. So I'm like really torn with him. So um Hey Hillary, no worries, he'll be here. But um no, but Steve, that's a uh, it's that movie has a lot of wisdom and I take a lot um, of it from like stuff that I live actively. Like there's a great saying in that also that what one man could do, another can do. And that's, you know, that's a principle that's been around, you know, so when somebody, no one could break the four minute mile and then someone did. And then all of a sudden everybody started breaking it because, Oh, it's not impossible. You know what one man could do, another can do. So it's that, you know, about, you know, stay calm. You're smarter than, than the people against you. But yes, yes, again, I was watching it yesterday. There's another great David Mamet movie that I love um, called Red Belt. And it's, it's all about the hero struggle. And it's so relatable because um, it's, it just shows how hard it is to do the right thing and to stay true and honorable and how like all everything's and how everything's stacked up against you 
but that that has some great great lines of, of wisdom in it also um and so it's the movie is it's good it's maybe like a six out of ten but um so that was red belt i think it's two words um or one word, i don't i don't know but red belt it's by david mamet um chuela Owella for i don't know how to pronounce his name but he's he's the main character and like everything he says is um is like gold in that what his character says but that also has a great scene in it in which he when he's weak someone that he helped get secure and lift up kind of like smacks him into place and be like no like and like he almost returns the favor of like giving strength back so but um so i love david mamet but like i said um he gets very troublesome in uh in real life when he's not talking about plays or or anything but um yeah no he's uh it's great so those two were movies that i watched writing this also and steve since we're talking about pool in here you know with the capital p there's trouble with the capital t that rhymes with p which stands for pool now I know you folks are the right kind of parents, so I'm gonna be perfectly frank. Yeah, no, he is brilliant. Um, me and my wife just saw American Buffalo just last month, and uh, so it was one of the first ones that he did. Um, and it was Sam Rockwell and Lawrence Fishburne and Darren Chris. It was it was incredible. And there's this venue in the city in which like you're like rows from the no matter where you sit, you're still only like maybe like 10 rows max from the stage. It's awesome. And they're like, it circles, but um, yeah, the music, man, I love it. I love it. So uh, yeah. In high school, I was nicely, nicely Johnson. So uh, sit down. Your No, wait, no, that was guys and dolls. Who was, I? I was buddy Hackett's character in music, man. I forgot what his name was in it though. Um, but no, yeah, so I was Buddy Hackett, and then I was in Guys and Dolls, I was Nicely Nicely Johnson. Um, so what's what's the Music Man? Shapoopy? Is that the one I sang? Shapoopy is Music Man? But yeah, so yeah, the Michael Keaton is the main character in Birdman. Birdman's a great movie, um, but that's where I got the, I. so that quote, the thing is the thing, not what is said of the thing, is the name of a poem by, uh, I think, William Stevens. Stevens, I think. Um, but nice. Yeah, Shapubi. Yep. Uh, I forgot what his name was in, in that though, but all right, everybody. Thank you so much. Uh, everyone, thanks for hanging out and listening. And I hope that it was good and made sense. And you guys are great. Um, and hopefully we'll figure out the Facebook stuff or move to here full time which would be amazing but um so everyone thank you for for hanging out marcel's washburn yes thank you thank you he's a what he's a what he's a music man so everyone have a great day have a great easter and um i will talk to everyone later bye everyone Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. 
To make your 100% tax-deductible donation today, please visit revolutionchurch.com donate. You can also learn more by clicking the donate section on the website.